The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. There are many different ways of talking about thanksgiving or showing gratitude. There are many different ways, and today I want to show you how God wants us to be thankful, how he wants us to express our gratitude, what a life of thanksgiving looks like. And to do that, I want to set the stage by telling you kind of a strange story from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses was in a conversation with God. If you remember a few chapters earlier, Exodus chapter 20, Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. And God instructed Moses and the elders of Israel to renew the covenant, the agreement that God was making with them, a covenant that had been ratified with blood. Animals were sacrificed, and the blood was sprinkled on the altar and on the people. Blood, the life of an animal, signifying the life of God that he was giving to his people. And then this very strange thing happens. In the midst of this sprinkling of the blood and the sacrifice of the animals and the altar and God's covenant and the mountain, all of that, Moses and Aaron and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they went with 70 other elders of Israel up on the mountain And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Two very strange things, at least, to see in this text. First of all, that they come so close to God's presence that it's noteworthy that God does not destroy them, that he doesn't lay his hand on them. Nobody can come into God's presence and survive unless the Lord is the one who has invited you and the Lord is the one who has made you clean. And that's just what he does for Moses and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders. But then, almost in passing, in the midst of this sprinkling of the blood and the sacrifices of the animals and the altar and the mountain, all of that, Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders, they ate and they drank in the presence of God. They ate and drank with God. That's surprising. It's surprising that what God wants most of all is to draw his people so close to him that they can sit down and have a meal with him. This is a theme throughout the Bible. Among the sacrifices that the people of Israel were instructed to offer, there were all kinds of sacrifices, for instance, for atonement. Whole burnt offerings. They would bring an animal and they would kill it and they'd put it on the altar and then it would go up and smoke to heaven or they'd burn incense to represent their prayers going up to heaven. But there is a whole category of offerings 
called peace offerings, which are very different altogether. They're not peace offerings in the way you might think peace offerings should be offered in order to make peace with someone. That's how you use the word peace offerings. You you offer somebody a peace offering in order to make peace with them. That's not what these peace offerings were about. Instead, they were offerings to celebrate the peace that the people have with God. A surprising thing to have peace with God, knowing their sins, knowing how weak they are, knowing how they can't stand in God's presence. What a surprising and amazing and wonderful thing it is to have peace with God. And so they would bring offerings. And what they would do is they'd bring an animal and they would sacrifice that animal. They'd kill that animal. And a certain portion of that animal would be offered on the altar. The fat and the innards. Those things would be burned up on the altar. And then a portion of that animal would be set aside for the priests. That was their due. That was their livelihood. But then the rest of the animal was given back to the people to eat. And it had to be eaten right away. And if you've ever butchered anything larger than a chicken, you know that if you sacrifice an animal, you've got this whole hunk of flesh on the table, you need to share it with people. You can't eat it all yourself. And that was exactly the point. They would bring peace offerings to God. They would offer him the best portions, the fat portions. They'd give some to the priests, and then they would celebrate with a feast. They would feast together in the presence of God. They would feast with God, being with God in feasting. That is the whole point. That's the point of offerings. That's the point of sacrifices. That's the point of thanksgiving. It is very easy when we think about thanksgiving to imagine that it is an exchange of favors. So God does something nice for you, and you'll say thank you in return. That's often how we think about thanksgiving in this life. You do nice things for someone and you expect them to say thank you in return. We instruct our children to say please and thank you. It's kind of an exchange of favors, kind of a tallying up of what has been good, what's been done for you, gifts and blessings, a tallying up of what you might owe in return. That's very common in our world and very problematic. Anytime there's a tallying, a keeping score, It's dangerous for relationships. It's dangerous, especially in marriage. I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. But this is not what God is after. He's not after just an exchange of favors. I'll do something nice for you, and you say thank you because that makes me feel good. It's not an exchange like that. It's not even genuine thanks to some benefactor who doesn't really expect anything in return. I was the recipient of a scholarship in college, and every once in a while, the guy who endowed the scholarship, who gave the money to fund that scholarship, every once in a while he'd come to campus. And when he came to campus, we were expected to go and have dinner with him. And of course we would. I was very thankful for the money that he gave me. But he would come to dinner once, once in a while, maybe once a year. We'd eat dinner, and then he'd be gone. And I was very grateful. It was a true, genuine expression of gratitude, but it was once in a while, occasionally, not continually. It was while he was there, but when he was gone, look, the money was mine. It was mine to do with as I pleased. That is genuine thanks, but that's thanksgiving to a benefactor. Someone who stands far off from you and gives you something, and you take it and go. That is not what God wants from us. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants to give to us. And so here's the key. A life of thanksgiving, the kind of thanksgiving that God wants from us, that he desires from us, is a life of communion. 
of fellowship with God. When I say communion, I don't mean just what we do at the altar, eating and drinking Jesus' body and blood, but I mean a life shared together, life together. That is what God wants with us. He doesn't want to be far off, someone nice and rich and at a distance giving you gifts, but he wants to be with us. He didn't want to be just someone up on top of the mountain, sending down commands and offering blessings to his people at the bottom of the mountain, but he wanted to draw them up to the top of the mountain with him, to eat and drink with him. And that is what a life of thanksgiving looks like. Now, this is counterintuitive in a lot of ways in our world, but it also makes a lot of sense in others. So there are some kinds of relationships that you have that are characterized just by this kind of thanksgiving. So although we expect our kids to say thank you, although we expect them to recognize the things that they receive, the dinner that is put on the table, it's really not all that we want. In fact, it would be kind of offensive if they came and ate dinner and said thank you and then were gone and that was all we ever saw of them, was just eating the food that gets put on the table. What do parents want from their children? What's the best kind of thanksgiving that children can offer to their parents? Not just saying thank you, but being there. But sitting down at table and eating and drinking and talking and having fellowship and sharing in communion with one another. Imagine how strange it would be if a kid was just overly thankful by saying, thank you so much for dinner. I can't believe that you would put dinner on the table. I'm so grateful. What can I ever do to repay you? That would be strange because that's not the way this relationship works. It's not a surprising or unexpected thing that there'd be dinner on the table. Instead, it's a joyous thing and I want you to participate. That, that is how God thinks of us. I think even more to the point is the relationship between husbands and wives. So you may have an occasion where You feel especially thankful for something, and so you sit down and write your spouse a thank you note, or you go out of your way to give a particular expression of gratitude. But what is the best thanks? The best thanks to your spouse? It's simply being there. It's life together. It's fellowship. It's not reducing the benefit that you get from this other person to the gifts that they give you. It's not loving the gifts, but it's loving the giver. It's seeing the gifts as an expression of the love that that giver has for you and rejoicing, not in the gifts themselves, not in the gifts alone, but in the one who loved you enough to give you such blessings. Thanksgiving is in the life together. Imagine how strange it would be if there was a husband who only ever wrote his wife thank you notes and never was with her. How strange that would be. Yes, he might be saying thank you, but that's not the kind of thanksgiving that belongs in a marriage. Neither is it the kind of thanksgiving that comes from tallying or keeping score. That's when things go wrong altogether. Instead, it is simply this. Being together. Thanksgiving to God is in the life together, which is why it does not work. In spite of what people try to do, it does not work to say, look, I can thank God wherever I am. When I'm sitting on the fishing boat, when I'm out hiking in the woods... When I'm having fun elsewhere, it doesn't work to say I can thank God anywhere. Or to say, I I feel closer to you, God, when I'm far away from you. Imagine saying that to your husband or wife. I feel closer to you when I'm not with you. It does not work. What God wants from us is to be with us. Or imagine saying, I feel closer to you, God, when I'm not around all of these people who are, in fact, the body of Christ. It doesn't work. 
That is to think of God only in terms of the benefits that he gives us, the gifts that he gives us. And people are, are generally good at this. Occasionally, throughout their lives, everyone takes a moment and says, thank you. I'm so thankful that this thing has happened, that I was healed of this disease, that I was given these good gifts, that I have these blessings. Everyone ends up being thankful at some point. Even the most self-made people, the people who have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and made a way for themselves in this life, they are always thankful at some point. But what they're thankful for is the gift and not the giver. If that gratitude does not give way to a life together with God, then it is to mistake the gift as the blessing as opposed to the giver himself as the blessing. Thanksgiving of this sort, the sort that Jesus invites us to return to him, this Thanksgiving is not the kind of thing that just sort of wells up occasionally and overflows every once in a while, once a year on Thanksgiving Day, where you make a list of all of the things that you're thankful for. If that's all you've got, is a list of things that you're thankful for, then you don't yet have a life of Thanksgiving. I am very thankful for all of the benefits that I get from my credit card. I get four times the points when I buy gas at a gas station, I have 0% interest for 15 months, and fraud protection. So if somebody tries to steal my credit card, they won't, I won't get charges that don't belong to me. And when that fraud is attempted, guess what? I am very thankful. I am very thankful for that fraud protection. But that is not a life of thanksgiving with my credit card. That is not a life of communion with my credit card. It's using the thing. God wants something very different from us. Not an occasional thank you note as to a benefactor, but a life together with him. The great news is that this kind of thanksgiving is the true praise that we can give to God. The greatest praise that you can give to your family is by being with them. To show that your time together is worth it. That they are worth your time and your attention and your devotion and your service. Imagine what that shows to the world. When you set aside other things in order to be with your family, what does it show the world? That you love them. That you're grateful for them. That they are worth your time and attention. And the things that you do together, they're not just sort of a list of things, a collection of deeds that might give way to scorekeeping, but they are a declaration of worthiness. I spend time with my family because I believe they are worth it. You've heard it said that home is where the heart is, and that is true. The place where you go when you return from whatever it is that you had to do, whatever it is that took you away, whatever it is that was compelling you or needed to be done, wherever you return is where your heart is, and that ought to be your home. The same thing goes in our relationship with God. Think of the kind of praise that it gives to God's wondrous deeds, his work among us. When the place we go to return, after we've had to be away to work our jobs, to make sure that everything is functioning in our, the rest of our lives, the place we return is here, where God is present, giving us his gifts again and again and again, eating and drinking with us. Imagine how strange it would be to be the kind of person who never goes home, who tries to stay away as much as possible, who finds home to be a detestable place. What does it say about your love, your thanksgiving for your family, the people who live in that home? What does it say about God if our priority is not getting home to be with him? That is what thanksgiving looks like, and that is what is illustrated by the story of this leper. There were ten who were sick, 
and they stood afar off and they called out to Jesus for mercy. They expected some benefit from him and they were right to know that he could give that benefit and that he wanted to give that benefit. What does Jesus want more than anything but to bless his people? He loves to do it. His desire is to heal and make well. And so Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. But on their way, they were healed. And recognizing it, one of them came back. Recognizing that he'd been healed, he knew in that moment that the place he needed to be was not in the temple with the priests. It wasn't even at home with his family. But the place he needed to be was at home with Jesus. And so he returned to Jesus and fell on his knees and gave him thanks, praising him loudly. And Jesus wonders, where else are the other people who want to have this life together with me? Where else could they be? Where are they going? Why aren't they here, sharing in this life together with me, this life of thanksgiving? Sure, on the way to the temple, on the way to the priests, on their way home, they could in their hearts be thanking God and praising him, but why not come and be with Jesus where he is, living life together with him? That's the goal. And let me tell you, it is the most glorious thing. Everything else in this world fades away. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their sources of satisfaction, they fade away. They will disappoint. But life with Jesus will never let you be put to shame. A life of thanksgiving, thinking of your home as being with Jesus, always coming back to him, always returning home to be with him, that is a life that is fulfilling eternally. If you find yourself ever lacking in this kind of thanksgiving, then put yourself back in the shoes of that leper, for you were once like him. A sinner who had to stand far off, unclean, unfit for anything except for the grave. You were once like that. But what has God done for you? He sent his son to die for you, to give his life to you, to forgive your sins, to make you clean, to draw you close to him, to restore you and make you whole. His forgiveness is not this sort of bounded thing, just one thing that he wants to give you in a moment, but he gives you his entire self, his entire life from beginning to end. He has drawn you out of sin and death and made you a part of his family, something that none of us could ever have expected, something that those 70 elders and Moses and Aaron should never have expected, and yet there they sat on the mountain eating and drinking with God. That is exactly what God wants to give to you. Praise him. Praise him in your lives day to day. Praise him in your hearts. Praise him by coming here to eat and drink with Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.